0: What's up Ascenders, this is episode four of Awaken with John Prendergast, here's what's coming up.
1: Whenever we believe a falsehood, there's actually a contraction on a subtle level in our body and also a negative emotional reaction. So they feed on each other and we interpret that as meaning something about our essential nature. So the main thing here is to recognize that regardless of our beliefs and emotional reactions and somatic contractions, we are already whole.
0: Welcome to Awaken, I'm your host Brian Henry, and if you've been with me for the last few episodes and you're wondering, yes I have changed the name of the show, moving forward it will no longer be named the Ascend Show, but the mission still stays the same. Our mission on Awaken is to propel humanity in the direction of universal growth, and we do this by having on special guests of the show who will share with you valuable experience and wisdom to help you attain a greater state of health, live on a higher plane of consciousness, and manifest abundance in your life. In this episode, I'm speaking to a man named John Prendergast, and John falls under the category of a type of person that I very much enjoy learning from, and that's someone that found themselves on a life path on which spirituality and science intersected. You see, from a very early age, John was living a life of spirituality, and then he grew into a scholar of psychology. He taught as a psychology professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies, And now he's retired as a professor, but working as a psychotherapist. And psychotherapy is a field that I'm very interested in because I think there's so much that can be learned from the many different approaches and strategies within the field of psychotherapy that we can take and use to better our own lives. So going into it, I was pretty excited to talk to John. And um, the the topic that we focused on was one that's at the core of his, his psychotherapy approach, and that's getting people in touch with their true selves. So he refers to the topic as inner knowing, and it parallels the idea and concept that I hold true to my heart, and it's the idea of intuition, and intuition being a internal compass of sort to guide you along this path. So I thought, what better way to, to introduce these ideas than to have someone who for a living and for many years has been helping people get in touch with their true selves. And the topic runs a lot deeper than you think at the surface of it. So the insights that John shares in this episode is very valuable in my opinion. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Let's jump into the interview. Hi, John. Welcome to Awaken. Thank you for joining us.
1: Uh, You're very welcome. Nice to be here, Brian.
0: So, before we get started and we kind of dive into the, uh, the topic that I want to spend most of our time addressing, why don't, we, uh, why don't we allow our listeners to get a little bit more of a background on who you are and kind of the work you do. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about the story that led you into the, uh, the, the work that you're doing and kind of the approach that you, you take with your work? Ah.
1: <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a long story, I would say. I'll see if I can boil it down. Um, You know, when I was a boy, uh, (laughs) this is a fateful beginning, (laughs) but uh, between the ages of 10 and 13, when I would be uh, falling asleep, I would find myself quite spontaneously entering into very expanded states of consciousness, and I had no idea what was going on. Uh, I just felt myself like becoming, felt like my body was becoming infinitely large and small and uh, it was, it was um, completely off the map in terms of anything I'd read or heard about, and I kept the experiences to myself. And then um, at the beginning of puberty with the onset of hormones, uh, you know, those experiences stopped and I forgot all about them. Mm-hmm. But um, I felt myself drawn to um, an interior life. That's the best way I can say it. And so I was in my late teens beginning to read more in uh, contempl- Eastern contemplative traditions and uh autobiography of a yogi made a big impression on me so i began meditating when i was 20 years old i uh practiced tm and actually became a teacher of that um because i found uh,
0: to jump in right there um tm just for those that may not know is transcendental meditation correct correct yeah
1: So, so yeah so you know i practiced tm i became a teacher and then left that organization but i was uh i was definitely following a deep inner calling and um, <clears throat> continued me- uh, my own form of meditation and was interested in, in finding a teacher who could help support and guide me and that led me to india and more depth of investigation i um, <clears throat> my main teacher jean klein who was in a, a european master uh, spiritual master in 1983 so that's almost 35 years ago and i felt an immediate rapport and connection with him and he began to really clearly point to where my own understanding was uh, obstructed I would say how I was identified with certain beliefs of who I was defining and confining myself and meanwhile I was getting a doctorate in <clears throat> a master's and a doctorate in clinical psychology and um, also beginning to supervise and teach so uh, there were two kind of parallel tracks going on one is a continual deepening in my own self inquiry and meditation, and another was the developing of working with people, mm-hmm. helping them from a more transpersonal orientation to get in touch with their own knowing. So these were parallel tracks of really attuning with a deep inner knowing, and they, they gradually merged. I couldn't distinguish my psychotherapy practice from my spiritual investigation. And um, that's just, uh, I met another, my, my first teacher died. In 1998 and the year later I met Adyashanti um, who I studied with intensively from 2001 to 2006 and and uh, that led to a series of openings and and a a deep kind of letting go and trust in in uh, being Mm -hmm. and a deep inner knowing and so I've been sharing that in my work individually and uh, more recently in groups and residential retreats and and of course it's the uh, main topic of my book In touch.
0: Mm-hmm. So, do you mind diving a little bit more into kind of what that uh, that teachings looked like when you were working with the spiritual teachers? I'm I'm sure that there was um, probably quite a bit that that you guys covered, but maybe some standout moments in terms of what uh, what you would do with them, what what sort of um, practices they would they have would have you go through.
1: Well, <clears throat> um, I'll go through them quickly. I mean, as I mentioned, my first. Uh, introduction to meditation was TM and Mm -hmm.
0: and
1: I felt uh, you know it's an effortless mental repetition of a mantra and uh, I just felt myself immediately sinking into a very very deep state the first few times that I meditated and so of course that caught my attention so um, ten years of basically daily meditation with TM Mm -hmm. um, definitely quieted the mind and and brought um, easy access to silence But there was still a sense of inner separation, of of a separate meditator who was meditating. And um, that wasn't in that tradition, the TM tradition, that wasn't really pointed to uh, in a clear way. So when I met my teacher, Jean Klein, um, this is what he was pointing to immediately. And it's more in the form of self-inquiry. It's like investigate the nature of the apparent meditator, the apparent Perceiver, this apparent separate self. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting. This is called self-inquiry. When attention turns inward towards the one who is aware, it's like the walls fall off, the bottom falls off, the roof gets blown off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are many experiences of um, uh, just a tremendous openness and simplicity of being, but with no one, you know, not belonging to or referring to anyone. So uh, there, there is a series of these glimpses, I would say, of awakening to one's true nature. And mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> when, I, um, when I studied on retreat with Adyashanti, who's a uh, California, younger Californian teacher, not, not so young anymore, but at that time, mm-hmm. uh, 20 years ago, there was, a very, there was a very clear and radiant sense of presence and, and openness and being with him. And, and that really catalyzed uh, a similar discovery, within myself that was quite spontaneous so um now my practice is, such as it is is much less formal uh, it's much more informal it's much more uh, resting in awareness resting in this which is always here and knowing this is who I really am you know I have an identity you know I have a name and I have roles that I play and I have a personal history but none of it actually defines who I am mm-hmm. it's uh, it's an expression of who I am but it's but the senses of knowing myself as consciousness itself and and that brings a tremendous freedom uh, it actually frees one's individuality to be as kind of quirky and creative um, and and alive um, you know as, as one can be so uh, it's just kind of opening now it's much more about creative expression and uh, aliveness and a sense of richness uh, in life.
0: All right. Nice. All right. I, uh, I I definitely like the the way that you describe dissociating from that that sense of self in the book specifically, and uh, I think um, I think that sort of understanding is is one that will make way for for better understanding some of the other things that I kind of want to. Um, to address, mm-hmm. so okay. could you kind of dive into a little bit more about the that importance of dissociating from that that self and indi- self identity that we we create for ourselves, and why is it uh, why is it even important to do that in the first place?
1: Okay, so first of all, I would use a word a little bit different from dissociate, <laughs> because in psychology, dissociate is avoidant. Okay, you nice. Know, yeah. no, you you're going there. Yeah, you know, you're avoiding something because of shame or fear. Um, and so there's a kind of internal splitting or separation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the process that I'm talking about I think more uh, accurately would be called disidentification. And I, okay. yeah that's what you're referring to I know and it means seeing through our limited identities and generally we're very um, we're very identified with certain beliefs about who we are and sometimes they're conscious and very often they're subconscious or right on the level of consciousness for instance there may be you know a very simple deep feeling that i'm lacking something essential or that i'm flawed these are generally the two i find constant constellating core beliefs that tend to drive us mm-hmm. and uh they're often formed in childhood in based on our experience and it seems inevitable that we um are conditioned this way to some degree and so it's almost like living with um like uh, kind of living in a fog or living with glasses on that mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. you know dark and obscured, and so we actually don't see very clearly. Mm-hmm. We see through very limited vision of lack or flaw, or we compensate for that, mm-hmm. and you know, we have grandiose a grandiose image of ourselves. But they're both both defenses, mm-hmm. and neither, neither one of them uh, really are accurate reflections of who we are. So in the process of disidentification, we see oh. You know, I have this belief about myself being lacking or flawed or being separate. And I see with utmost clarity it's not true. And it's like a shedding of a veil. It's an unveiling process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the result is it's very interesting working with these beliefs because um, they're very associated with reactive feelings and, and bodily or somatic contractions. Whenever we believe a falsehood, there's actually a contraction on a subtle level, uh, in our in our body and also a, an intense uh, or sometimes subtle uh, negative emotional reaction mm-hmm. and so it's a, it's a complex and they feed on each other you know we have these emotional reactions and then we think oh something's wrong with me you know or we feel a knot of contraction in our belly or in our heart or our throat and we interpret that as meaning something about our essential nature so the main thing here is to recognize that regardless of the conditioning that we've gone through, regardless of our beliefs and emotional reactions and somatic contractions, we are already whole on the level of essence. And so the disidentification process is the discovery of our native wholeness, regardless of our conditioning. And as we discover that experientially, not as a philosophy, but as a direct experience, a direct knowing within ourselves, it's very liberating. It gives us a lot of space then to be Uh, accepting and compassionate towards our own conditioned experience and that provides an optimal environment for that to unfold and integrate as well so it supports the transformational process so disidentification the letting go of who we think we are Mm -hmm. and who feel we are creates an open space for us simply to be who we are Mm -hmm. and also for our conditioning to uh, to transform and be more aligned with that
0: Right, nice. And I think you, uh, yeah, so I think you did a really good job there of just kind of differentiating the uh, the word that you chose to use, uh, disidentify, and the word I chose, dissociate, which I probably won't ever use again. Um, <laughs> but, I, no, I definitely see kind of where, where you're coming from with um, with regard to that dissociation being, would you say that it, it can kind of get in the way of, of that process of yes, disidentifying? Yes, yes.
1: Absolutely, because when we dissociate, uh, we're just, you know, we're trying to escape from something. And Uh part of us, part of the psyche actually splits. It leaves the body. It's very interesting. So um, dissociation is a very common phenomena when the system is overwhelmed with trauma, for instance. It just becomes unbearable to be here. It's just overwhelming. And so there's a very kind of um, natural, intelligent response to split from our experience and we actually in some way leave our body we don't feel fully here you know we go into fantasy we um, we dull our awareness so we're not actually in relationship and all of it is a defense so that we're not overwhelmed and and hurt as well so when we're not all here it's actually it, it gets in the way it makes it more difficult Actually, to meet our experience as it is, to see our experience as it is, to feel our experience as it Mm -hmm. is, and to see through it, right? Because we're too far away from it. We need to be intimate with our experience. We need to feel it and sense it and see it very clearly in order to see through it. And if we're at a distance, if, if we're fearful of our experience, if we're ashamed of our experience, it makes it more difficult to be intimate with our experience and mm-hmm. therefore to, to, in a very natural way, disidentify from
0: it. Right. Yeah, no, I see that a lot in people that uh, that may be involved with the spiritual practice where yes. they, and I think I even see it more so in people that, that again, engage in spiritual practices because I think um, what tends to happen is... I think a lot of times people see that, that concept of being the watcher of your thoughts or being the watcher of your emotions, and then they almost kind of, they, they, they start to identify, identify as the watcher, and then, yes. again, that kind of uh, leads into that dissociation with, your, with how you're feeling and how you're being, and it, I think it comes back to a concept, and I think you might have written about this in the book, Spiritual Bypassing. Do you want to speak to that a little mm-hmm.
1: bit? Yeah, I could. First of all, I really appreciate your insight You know, because I think this is um, it's very common what you describe, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's and it even seems to be encouraged and prescribed by some contemplative traditions to simply kind of be a watcher Mm -hmm. of your experience. And and then that becomes an identity right now. You're separate from your experience as a watcher and it creates a kind of um, it can create a, a coolness. A detached quality, a disembodied quality, and people get stuck there. People who've been meditating actually for many years, regardless of the medi- contemplative meditative practice that they have, so uh, it becomes a form of avoidance, subtly, you know, of actually feeling and and being in relationship. And this is when people speak about spiritual bypassing. This is what they're referring to. It's like using basically concepts um, and in some cases, states, certain states of experience that meditation will provide in order to avoid intimacy with our feeling Mm -hmm. and and vulnerability and relationship. And so they skip over or they bypass very important areas psychologically, you know, that may have been where we've been wounded, uh, neglected or abused early on. It was just too painful to deal with. And we're trying to rise above it, you know. So personally, though, um, again, I'm going to Uh, reframe the term spiritual bypassing because I've given it some thought, and I don't think it's quite the right word, although it's used commonly and you're using it accurately, but it's actually the idea of spirituality that people are using to avoid their experience. It's not spirituality itself, because my, my understanding of spirit is actually that which is sort of the ground of everything and also the substance of everything. So it's the essence. Can't
0: you just repeat that? I like that. Yeah. It's, spirit
1: is the ground and substance of everything. So it's from which everything comes, and it infuses everything. It's, it's that which everything is made out of, or the substance of everything. Mm-hmm. The second point is very important. This is because in spirituality, one point is spirit is transcendent. It's not limited to form. It's not limited to the body, feelings, or thoughts. And you have contemplative traditions that say you're none of those right they're pointing to your formless pure you know your nature is pure consciousness mm-hmm. that's step 1 but step 2 is to realize spirit infuses everything that everything is made up out of that including your thoughts and your right. feelings right. your sensations mm-hmm. so to say i'm i'm not the body is actually uh, only uh, is only a helpful step initially more mm-hmm. accurate is to say i'm not just the
0: body mm-hmm. you know i am i am this body and i am so much more mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. And, and I think so, yeah, yeah, that that tends to be a, a first step, like you mentioned, right? Even though it might not be uh, fully or completely accurate, I think that uh, that initial realization, where where people, like you said, would say, "I'm I'm not the body," um, that can lead way into into a deeper understanding, which uh, yeah. which, like mm-hmm. like you're saying, involves understanding that well, the body is is within within how you what you'd call spirituality
1: yes that's right it's within it so the sense is it's like when you did this is part of the disidentification it's like okay so if I'm not you know not just this body not my thoughts not my sensations and feelings then what am I Uh you know and 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 we begin to discover the sense of just pure open awareness and that first step of realization we could say I am no thing I am not an object you know I am just this openness Uh right is kind of pure awareness but we're still in, we're still in a duality we're still in a slightly separate state it's like okay i i know myself as open awareness but what is this <laughs> everything else that i experience mm-hmm. and so that's the next step is to realize oh i am this too i am i am nothing and I am everything, and that's 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 kind of wisdom and love together.
0: All right, nice. Okay, so what I want to do here, John, is to take a little bit of a step back, just in case some of the uh, the ideas and uh, concepts that we're sharing here isn't uh, isn't just passing over the head of some of the audience. Mm, um, good idea. So he used the word open awareness. Um, mm. Can you can you just? Go into a little bit about well, what do you mean by open awareness? And let's let's try to approach it from the uh, the approach that someone's coming to you with little to no no understanding of maybe some of these ideas, and and you're trying to um trying to help them better understand um this idea of accepting our truth as being this this unbounded awareness.
1: Okay, so what I would say to someone and you know to your listeners as well is that your experience is made up basically of three components you're having it's made up sensations like in this moment there's the experience if your eyes are open of um, visual phenomena Mm -hmm. it's made up of um, tactile sensations of touch it's made up of sounds Um, listening to my voice and your voice Brian Um, And there may be tastes and smells as well. So that's the sensate aspect of your experience You're also uh, you may be having emotions right now of various kinds and if not now at other times and Which is a kind of particular kind of sensation and we feel those in our body So that's another aspect of our experience and we have thoughts we have um, We're we're thinking in words. We may have images. We have memories uh, as well, so really A mix of sensations and feelings and thoughts makes up our experience. But we always say, when we talk about our experience, we say, I am aware. I'm aware of my sensations, you know, if we are. I'm aware that I'm, you know, having, seeing something right now and hearing something right now, touching something right now. I'm aware of my feelings, right? I'm aware of being happy or sad or angry or confused or whatever those feelings may be. And I'm aware of thoughts as well. And usually thoughts <laughs> we're less aware of because they're so subtle and quiet, but mm-hmm. they're, they're basically self-talk. You know, it's uh, voices that we hear within our mind. So in each case, we say, I am aware. So that's what's foundational to experience actually, is regardless of what the objects of awareness are, there's always awareness. As a, as a quiet background
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: or ground of experience. And so the invitation to your listeners <clears throat> is actually to notice, okay, awareness is here regardless of experience, and to actually turn attention back to awareness itself. Okay. So that's, and so that generally is a movement towards silence. It's like, okay, just rest as awareness rest as this which is aware it's not a doing it's more of a kind of a relaxing and a okay. falling back into this awake silence
0: all right interesting i like yeah i i, I like how you again describe it and i i, I wanted to to ask you to because like uh like I mentioned when I was reading the uh the book, by the way, we need to uh we need to at least uh mention the title of the book here. It, the book that we're referring to is John's book in touch, how to tune into inner guidance of your body and trust yourself. Um and much of what we are we're discussing here is ideas that, that are within the book and like I was saying as I was reading it, I um I enjoyed the way that that you um, described this this truth and this this way of decides this dis- identifying from the the sense of self and it is something that um, that gets mentioned quite a bit but of course it's not always the easiest uh, the easiest concept to understand so I did definitely wanted to hear you uh, hear you describe it yourself there oh uh-huh. okay so let's let's Moving to the the next topic that i uh, I wanted to address, and that's the the, the basically the the topic that you um, that the book revolves around and it's what you call inner knowing um, yeah. I personally like the to use the word intuition and I think they oh. they point towards the the same thing there and it's definitely a topic that I love to to discuss but let's hear it from you john how would you how would you define the term inner knowing
1: I think it could be used interchangeably with intuition. Mm -hmm. Uh, Intuition, I think the the technical definition of intuition is inner knowing. That's kind of the Latin root uh, of the word. So it's it's a direct non-conceptual knowing. And it can be a knowing of something, in other words, in a very simple um, daily way. It's like a knowing, you know, is this work really what I want to be doing? Is this relationship? really um, authentic and alive and, and appropriate for me? Um, you know, is this way of seeing, does it feel really um, vibrant and authentic to me? Uh, so it can be about, you know, how we act in the world uh, in important areas. And it can also be an inner knowing of who we really are. In other words, the, the knowing of our true nature. And uh, I, I mentioned both, you know, both of these are important because we are multidimensional as human beings. And, and so, um, for me, intuition can come through different channels or forms. Uh, it can come as a direct knowing. Uh, we just some, sometimes know something. Um, by definition, too, uh, intuition is accurate. Sometimes what we call intuition are actually hunches based on our fear and desire. So I wouldn't call those uh, intuitions. Intuitions are actually, by nature, accurate, um, accurate inner knowing. So, um, yeah, we can have, um, it, can, it can take many of these different forms. And, and so we can, it can be a direct knowing. It can it could come as an image that suddenly and spontaneously arises. It can come as a quiet inner voice. It can come as a bodily sensation. And this last point, you know, is a felt sense is the one that I actually accent in my book because the book is really about the sense of inner knowing mm-hmm. and what's been what's been very interesting for me working with people really for decades now doing in-depth work is that when people hone in on what's authentic and really true for them something happens in the body that's very interesting if they're sensitive you know and if there's not too much conditioning in the way and I find people actually everyone has this capacity to varying Degrees, But when people begin to hone in on the truth, there's a sense of aliveness that comes in a very core of the body. There's a deep relaxation that can happen. There's a sense of relief and and kind of a a letting go and deepening into the ground. There's an opening of the heart. We just feel warmth uh, in the heart that opens, and we feel more spacious as well. Uh, all of this on a subtle level and kind of a subtle somatic level, but all of these are indications that we're actually honing in on something that's not uh, untrue, but actually very true, very alive, very vibrant, and very relevant um, you know to our situation. So a lot of my work with people is actually uh, helping them trust themselves, you know, to realize actually they have the inner knowing within themselves and that it's trustworthy, and to learn how to listen to it, um, and trust it, and act on it.
0: Nice. And I, uh, I definitely want to look a little bit deeper into the, um, to that somatic and bodily component of this, because I think that uh, when, when I hear about those things... I see that as the, the way that someone can really start to connect with these ideas because it's things that we have all experienced and when you can really start to describe those physical sensations that you're referring to, um, that's when I think people can still for, for the first time see the, uh, the connection between that, um, those sensations and, uh. and this inner knowing. So you mentioned the uh, the four that you you come back to with regards to the the physical sensations that mm-hmm. you you feel when you're in alignment with with that inner knowing mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think the average person will be able to to relate more to the the counterparts to that.
1: Ah uh, yes. Good
0: point. So why don't we go a little bit into that? What uh, okay. what are those sensations that that right, people right, feel that are, as a result of not being in line with very good?
1: Line? Yeah, that's a great question, Brian. Yeah. So what I was describing before is when there is a resonance, right? It's like it's almost like the the subtle aspect of the body is like a tuning fork, and we you know we hone in in our understanding, and the body bi- vibrates in resonance with that, and that gives us a clue. But similarly you know, and this is the opposite polarity, I love this question, is we have the experience of inner dissonance. Mm -hmm. In other words, we feel out of accord with our truth. Now, what does that feel like? Well, um, different for different people, of course, but there's kind of a a sense of something being off uh, deep in the interior of our body. It's like just something doesn't feel right. We feel uh, out of accord, incomplete, uh, like we've missed the mark in some way, which interestingly is the definition, uh, the original definition of sin is missing the mark. So it's not judgmental in any way, it just means that we're we're off, we're out of alignment as well. So um, yeah, somatically we can feel it as a kind of uh, agitation, a sense of being off balance. Uh, we may feel it as a kind of a uh, gripping. Usually it comes as a grip, a gnawing or gripping feeling in the heart area or in the gut or elsewhere in the body. Um, so those are those are some of the signs that we're, uh, we're not listening and we're not aligned. And they become invitations then to slow down and really be with our experience. It's like, hmm, something feels off here. Instead of just rushing on, we actually slow down and say, okay, so this is like feedback coming from my body that something is off. And so I'm willing to feel it more. And, and this is also so fascinating to me. If we're really open to the dissonance, you know, the sense of contraction or being off balance or agitated and breathe into it and welcome it and become curious, like, you know, not trying to make it go away, but actually become intimate with it. Like what's in the very center or core of this, mm-hmm. it, began, it begins to unfold. And we begin to actually come into alignment. So it's part of our feedback system,
0: actually. Right. Yeah. So I definitely that's a great point that it's it's you can find benefit in in tuning into to those feelings. While yes, they may not be um, they might be irritating or agitating, like you said. they're they're happening for a reason and if you if you tune into them they they hold information right
1: absolutely they're meaningful you know and it's interesting as you and I speak Brian I just you know I can feel your heart and I can feel this sense of inner alignment too mm-hmm. it's like you know there's something resonant here in our conversation isn't there right there's mm-hmm. something felt to be true so it's something um, it's something we feel within ourselves and it's something that we can feel uh, in between our, ourselves ourselves and another we can be with someone and something can feel off you know and we don't quite know what it is but we can take it as information and maybe begin to say i don't know what it is but it feels like something's in the way here so it's true I- intrapersonally that these can be you know our our experience of dissonance can be a portal to greater self-intimacy and it's true interpersonally as well if there's a sense of dissonance or discord we can slow down and be curious and not challenging, but just, you know, um, affectionate in our, um, in our exploration as well. And often it will unfold, you know, a dimension of experience that's uh, important to bring to awareness.
0: So let's, uh, let's carry back to, uh, to inner knowing and, and let's kind of try to build a, uh, a process here for the listeners that, that can help them um, tap into it. Where, mm-hmm. where do we begin, John? Where do we begin with, uh, with trying to make our way through, through the noise? And uh, let me, let me um, clarify there, how do, we, how do we know that what we're hearing is our, our inner knowing and not something like a, a more superficial desire? Like, how do we dif- differentiate between those two things?
1: Okay, good question. You know, how do we differentiate our inner knowing from desire or from fear? You know, these are the two kind of um, main main sources of noise in the system that make it more difficult to decode the clear signal of our knowing. So, uh, just to clarify, our inner knowing um, generally is very quiet. So, uh, it's not uh, it's not shouting at us, and it's not judgmental. Uh, it, it's very uh, very accepting and very patient. Uh, it doesn't actually have an agenda <laughs> to change us. Um, so immediately we can begin to discern the difference between say the judging mind or our emotional desire desires and something much quieter as well. Uh, it, it's not an analytic process either and it, it doesn't grasp and it doesn't push away uh, any particular experience. So it doesn't assert or deny. Um, That's why it's often referred to as that kind of still small voice within. And another clue I can offer is uh, we don't, if we go up into our heads, into the forehead, the cerebral cortex, into our thinking, strategic, analytic mind, uh, we're not going to find our inner knowing. We'll just find our thinking mind. And that's, you know, it's weighing risks and benefits, pros and cons. So our inner knowing is not involved in that process. At all, it's not. Um, it, there may be a secondary process where we have an intuition or an inner knowing, and then we we check out our you know rational, analytic check it out with our rational analytic thinking. You know, and it makes sense. Then we'll go ahead and act on it. But the source of it actually tends to come from the heart area, mm-hmm. and also from the gut. Mm-hmm. So it's down in the torso. So that I, I hope clarifies somewhat. You know, the distinctive nature of inner knowing. Now, secondly, uh, in order to access it means we need to be quiet, means we actually need to stop. And it means that we need to recognize the limitation of our thinking and our beliefs and to sit um, in a space of simplicity and of not knowing. So... I often tell my students, um, uh, don't know, right? Become comfortable (laughs) with not knowing, right? Mm -hmm. Don't know, don't know, don't need to know. So immediately, that's a prescription for the problem-solving mind to relax. You know, another way to approach it is to ask yourself, is there a problem I need to solve right now? The right now is very important. Mm -hmm. Do I need to solve a problem right now? And if I don't right now, I can put that functioning of the mind down and just be more quiet. So that's, that's a step. And then another way, another important step is like, let your attention fall into the heart area, right? And you, can, you can breathe as if you're breathing directly into the heart area. And ask, your, ask yourself the question, what's my deepest knowing, you know, about this? Whatever the this is, it may be about your true nature. As a human being, it may be about another person or a particular situation. What's my deepest knowing? And you can even put your hand over your heart area, breathe a little bit, get quiet. Know that you're not asking your thinking mind, right? You're asking, you're entering into a dialogue with a much quieter, wiser, uh, loving intelligence. And so you're quiet and you're humble and you're open. And what's my deepest knowing about this? And then you let go of the question. It's like dropping a stone into the pond. You know, you just you just feel, you just sense. And often within, you know, a minute or two, some kind of response will come. It may not be from the direction that you expect. It may not be in the form that you're looking for. It may be a subtle shift in sensation. It may be a, a feeling, an inclination. You know to move one way or the other but it's not insistent uh as well and you know if it's not clear to you you can ask another question a clarifying question um but this is a way of beginning to open uh to this other way of knowing
0: awesome so let me see if i can uh can sum up here to uh to establish if I'm understanding things correctly, and then you can jump in if if there's anything you want to add or if there's anything I missed. Um, okay. So the big one that stands out for me is that the the access of our inner knowing happens in in silence and quiet. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's where where I guess you need to be in order for it to, to arise. Another mm-hmm. thing that that stood out for me was it. It's not something that that you you go chasing after, you go looking for, you go grasping for. Rather, it's something that in that quiet, in that silence, it tends to to naturally arise, rather yes. than having to be grabbed after. Would, exactly. you, would you agree with that that kind of phrasing?
1: To- totally, yeah.
0: Awesome, and then one I want to go back to those those qualities that you had mentioned earlier that uh, those somatic qualities those those physical sensations that uh, that one tends to feel when they connect to to their inner knowing and it was groundedness, inner alignment, open heartedness, and spaciousness and uh-huh. I think um, with with the time that we have here, the best way to uh, to really connect with with what each of those four things feels like, is to go ahead and read the book. It's definitely a great read, In Touch, How to Tune Into the Inner Guidance of Your Body and Trust Yourself. John, I want to thank you for your time. If Is there anything that you want to leave us off with? Um, and also, where can our listeners find you um, online if they want to look a little bit more into your work?
1: Okay. Well, what I would say as a kind of brief summary is that everyone who's listening to this podcast has this inner knowing. Okay. There are no exceptions to this. And regardless of your conditioning, you know, it's there. It's just a matter of learning how to listen. And it's a process. So um, the more you listen, the clearer it gets, the more you act on your listening, the stronger it becomes. And this will become the guide, uh, the most trustworthy guide to your life. So... Uh, I wish you well on your exploration. Um, That's to the listeners. And then in terms of uh, if you're interested in my work, you know, a good place to start is getting the book and uh, working with it and um, going to my website, which is listeningfromsilence.com. And uh, I have, you know, there's videos and audio recordings and a blog. And uh, also, um, I do offer mostly on the West Coast uh, residential retreats. Um, but I'm beginning to um, teach around the country as well. Um, so if you're in the area or want to come to the area, it would be great to see you at one of my retreats.
0: Awesome. So I will link the, uh, the website and a link to the, the book into the show notes for the listeners there. John, again, thank you so much for your time. We do appreciate it, and we do appreciate you being um, you tapping a little bit into that that very important topic of inner knowing and intuition. Um, I think it, it, there's so much that can be said with regards to where where tapping into this this guidance can lead you and how how beneficial it can be. Um, and you definitely did a, a great job here explaining well what it what is it really about, how does it feel, and how can we how can we work towards connecting towards it. So thank you again for that.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. And I I really love the quality of your listening and your questions, Brian. It was a delight.
0: I appreciate that, John. Thanks again. Take care. So there it is. That's my interview with John, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. And I do want to hear from you guys what you thought about this type of content, because I do take it into account when I go looking for for more guests for the show. So let me know what you thought about this type of content. And if you want more of it, um, but I definitely think that there's, there's a lot of importance in discussing and exploring some of the ideas that, that John and I did in this conversation. Uh, specifically, the idea of moving beyond that, that story we create for ourselves and getting in touch with, with what and who we truly are. Um, there's, there's just so much that can be said about it and there's just so much power that in, in truly in deepening your understanding of, of these ideas. So I personally want to learn a lot more about it. I, I know there's so much that, that can be said and learned from, from these, these sort of topics. Uh, but let me know what you guys think if you uh, if you want to hear more about this sort of thing or not. Um, other than that, guys, if you want the show notes to this episode, I'm in between domains here. So I'll give you the link to to the website and then you, you can search it from there. The, the website is www.togetherweascend.com forward slash awaken and then you can you can search for episode four from there other than that guys thanks for for tuning in again i do keep uh do appreciate the support that i I keep on getting from you guys it's it's been great to to put out these first few episodes and i plan to, to keep them coming as long as you guys are enjoying it so thanks again guys until the next episode